Hello and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. In this podcast, we are going to interview researchers from both academia and industry about their work, thoughts, spectrum, and more beyond that. This is Marwa Edwini, and I hope you will find this podcast useful. If you would like to connect with us, simply send us, and we will be happy to hear from you. And here is my interview. Thanks. Hello and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. Hello, Agustina. Thanks so much uh, for joining us in the podcast. Such an honor to have you. Thank you for being the invitation, Marwa. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. So I, I would like to ask you first how, how you would like to define yourself for the audience, maybe the first time listening to you. Well, uh, I am a mechanical engineer by background, and then I transitioned uh, into soft robotics more and more uh, through my studies. So I would say, yes, I'm a roboticist with a strong hardware background. And how was your childhood was? Do you have any memories about your childhood being interested in science and technology? Yeah, I mean, I guess from the very beginning, I started uh, playing with uh, building blocks. And uh, I remember my parents bought me mm. this uh, hardware kit called uh, Capsella, which was basically uh, these blocks with inside the gears and engines that you can assemble into tiny robots and mm -hmm. reconfigure as you like. That was definitely the defining game in my childhood for this. Yeah, that's great, yeah. So we ask all this, what would be the first robot you built? Maybe soft robot as well, what, what you have built, yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, not soft, uh, traditional robotic system. Uh, I worked a lot uh, on the development uh, of these uh, ball and plate robots that was developed for uh, education purpose to teach control into robot in uh, robotics classes at bachelor level. And this was part of that, my very first uh, research project uh, as an undergrad. It was pretty exciting because at the time was the first occasion to work with a company on the development of uh, educational product which was also a robot and uh, as much as it was a very simple system it was just a plate uh, that embedded uh, a touch screen and two actuators under it that allowed the ball to be balanced with the feedback of the touch screen in terms of position mm -hmm. uh, it was a very interesting system very useful educational platform that nowadays is actually used in a number of universities in italy where i am from when it comes to soft robotic systems, I think I started with uh, the shrinkable stiffness controllable manipulator that I developed together with uh, my PhD supervisor, Professor Kaspar Töpfer, formerly at King's, now at Queen Mary. And this was uh, the very first soft robotic system that I built and tested and then developed in a whole pipeline of robotic system. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So maybe, um, yeah, for going to more details about your work, how do you see the definition of soft robotics? What do you think maybe the most important questions when it comes to designing, for example, yeah, or maybe embarking in soft robotics field? What would be the most important question and how you define it from your perspective? So from my side, I see uh, soft robotics as uh, a, a way of addressing complex problems that traditionally you cannot solve with rigid robotics. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think the most important question any roboticist, but in particular 
soft roboticist should try to answer is, is this soft robotic system that I envision suitable for the application that I have in mind? I think the, the point there being, we should really look first at the application then to the system that we want to build. Because the application itself defines a lot of our parameters, a lot of our design feature that we want to embed in our robotic system. And if we don't keep that in mind from the very beginning, it becomes really challenging to propose useful solution that then we can actually translate into commercial systems. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. May I ask you about what could be uh, approaches we have to do? For example, if you have a product written or yeah, you develop like a technology or uh, a theory for that. So I think there's a two point of views differently. You have application or you're just designing a technology. Can you have a comparison between the both approaches if you say that we have to design and build an application? Yeah, I mean, I'm not implying that uh, we should not do a blue sky research in soft robotics. Uh, mm -hmm. I think it is extremely useful as well. And it actually opened uh, a number of uh, new designs and then uh, new type of actuators and sensing technologies that nowadays we embed in soft robotic systems. Uh, but I think we are uh, uh, at a point in time where uh, uh, a lot of groundwork has been done in soft robotics. We know a lot of technologies, we know a lot of uh, uh, use of uh, traditional materials, elastic materials, smart mm -hmm. materials. So the, there is a lot that has been done already there. And I think that if we want to really see soft robotics being something that we see in our daily life, we see in our industries, we need to start to focus a bit more on the application side and try to put at good use all the technologies that we have developed so far, because there is a lot of good work there. Mm, yeah. Uh, what do you think is still, something is still missing in, when it comes to soft robotics field? Which, which area do you think still need more attention? Or maybe something still missing we have to focus on? Well, uh, I can tell you, when when I started my PhD, uh, I, I thought that at the time uh, the, there was little to no focus on uh, the use of uh, soft robotics in healthcare engineering. Uh, in the past years, uh, I've seen this growing more and more, and uh, I think the community realized that and started to heavily focus also on these kind of challenges because of the huge benefits that you can have also in this field. I think it's very, we have a very wide community now, and uh, I think we are touching any possible branch of robotics, and uh, this is something we should really be proud of because we are really spreading and applying our knowledge everywhere at this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And do you have any other thoughts about what could be uh, still challenging or technological blocks in the field? Well, I. I, I think that uh, uh, because of how we develop soft robotic system, uh, there is still a, a huge crafting component, if you wish, where mm -hmm. uh, uh, it's sort of an art to develop uh, a soft robot at this point, but uh, the repeatability of this process is still one of the biggest barriers to entry the industry and uh, basically to arrive at the point where we can 
create these robots in series, knowing exactly how they will behave because we produce it on a large scale. And we're still a bit far from that. In uh, I think mm -hmm. we are a bit closer in terms of uh, grippers. Soft robotics grippers are more advanced in that sense, but I would say it's probably the one of the few fields where we are at the point where we can actually mm -hmm. reliably create the soft robots. Yeah, yeah. So if you can share about what could be something interesting work on in, in your lab, uh, just if you can share with us what are the challenges you face what the idea you have you're interested working on. So if you can share us in detail. Yeah, definitely. So uh, when, I, when I joined UCL, uh, I started to heavily focus my work on uh, mm -hmm. healthcare engineering and surgical engineering in particular. And uh, my journey as a postdoc and then uh, as an assistant professor at UCL uh, uh, started around uh, the work that we have done in the context of the pneumatically attachable flexible rail project, where we created these uh, uh, soft robotic interface, basically, that we can pass through trocker ports in uh, laparoscopic surgery deploy on the surface of an organ. We started with uh, uh, the case of the partial nephrectomy problem where we are trying basically to remove a portion of the kidney that is uh, infected by a, a tumor or mass that we want to target and remove. Normally this localization is done uh, through uh, preoperative imaging, but when you perform the surgery, you are actually performing again imaging using drop-in ultrasound probe that you pass through a trocker port. You grasp with the progress pool of the Da Vinci surgical kit. You slide it on the surface of the kidney and you try to detect the position of the tumor. And then with the electrocautery tool, you mark on the surface of the tumor, the margin of resection. So where you want to cut. Now this procedure is very challenging even for uh, skilled clinicians, especially because you have uh, a ultrasound probe that you grasp and try to slide on a, a curved surface, which is possibly also covered by a layer of fat. And you need to ensure that you're maintaining contact constantly because you want to get good ultrasound image. So the idea that uh, we had at that point was to use this pneumatically attachable flexible rail or path rail uh, to guide and create a mechanical coupling between the probe and the organ so that we can ensure that our previously six degree of freedom problem where you have a probe that can move in space in any way is reduced basically to a two degree of freedom problem where you slide the probe along the rail and you just pivot around the junction point between the rail and the probe and uh, these allow then also to have a guide that you can actually visualize in the field of view of the clinician because as you know the surgical uh, field of view when you look at the laparoscopic camera is pretty messy when you perform surgery there is a lot of uh, uh, very similar colors so if you're able to put something that is of a color of choice that is easily detectable then you can add this information in the field of view of the clinician and the, field, and the clinician can follow this profile and ensure that he's performing fast, uh, fastly and reliably the scanning of the kidney in this case. This is one of the projects we are working on at the moment in our lab. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I'm just ask you uh, in that case about the safety and uh, redundancy, for example, when it comes to yeah the designing of the soft product, for example, in that case. Um, so if you can tell us about that redundancy and also safety concern, do you, you have like these two um, yeah. for example? Yeah, I mean, uh, we had this in mind at the time we designed the system. Uh, the system itself is uh, purely made of silicon without any rigid component and any other component. It's just a, a silicon attachment that uh, hopefully will be also, given its design, easy to be sterilizable and uh, non-expensive once you must produce it because it's just a mold, basically. Uh, and it has a single uh, pneumatic line inside. Uh, obviously, there, there were safety concerns at the time because we were looking, look, we are applying uh, vacuum pressure on the surface of an organ, uh, how this is going to affect the organ. Um, we did uh, uh, some histopathological studies in this sense. We tested a different uh, level of vacuum pressure to see the long-term damage. Uh, at the time uh, that uh, the first lockdown kicked in, uh, we were uh, uh, at the point where we wanted to test, uh, do the, the first animal testing there. Unfortunately, this didn't happen at the time, but uh, uh, because there is obviously a huge difference between testing vacuum pressure on dead tissue or testing it on uh, uh, vascular, vascularized tissue, which is also very much the case of the kidney because of all the vessels that you have in there. So uh, for what we have seen in uh, ex vivo testing, the results were really promising and the damage was minimal. And mm. on the other hand, uh, this uh, interface showed also very promising results as uh, an organ manipulation system because of its design. While attached on the surface of the organ, you had a way wider interface that you can use actually to move around the organ, which is very common when you perform this kind of procedure. So you perform organ repositioning to access a different part of the organ. Hence, we went from a single connection point at the center of the rail to a multiple connection point that distributed along the whole length of the rail. So you, can, you were able to pick and place the organ that you were manipulating in any point and becoming uh, not only a guide, but also an organ retractor system, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm curious to ask you in that case about the modeling for this process. What level do you have to go for when it comes to modeling, for example? What parameters do you think more significant? How do you figure out this design process? And when it comes to interacting with human body, for example, in that case? Is it challenging? Yes. How, how, yeah. Uh, so I guess, let me start from the, the main design parameter of all the system, the diameter of the trocker port. Mm -hmm. Everything goes down to that in this case. And uh, we are not too much constrained by the length of the system, but we need to pass through it. And we need to have also three other components in our system. One being the connection point where you grasp the rail, that is used also to position it on the organ and move the organ when it's attached. The rail profile itself, that is on the side and is the widest part of our system, which is basically defining the maximum diameter of the port that we are accessing. And the, the suction cup under the system. And this suction cup that then runs 
runs for the whole length of the probe. Um, the combination of these three uh, then uh, related to the maximum force it could apply because the surface area given by the pneumatic connection uh, was the parameter basically to define the maximum force because we knew that we could reach almost full vacuum. At that point, the force was only dependent on the surface area. So we were trying to maximize that while at the same time we were trying to uh, have enough space to provide the mechanical coupling that we needed to put there between the probe the ultrasound probe and the, the rail profile. And this was uh, very challenging because not only we had to ensure that the space was enough to ensure a firm mm -hmm. connection, but at the same time we needed to embed also things like bearings to reduce the friction when you were sliding the probe in, the, in this attachment that we obviously retrofitted a commercially available ultrasound probe with a custom attachment to pair it with the rail. So it was a two-component system in this sense, and uh, this is also part uh, of uh, the design that we protected in the very beginning for this system. Mm -hmm. but yeah. It was a very challenging design in that sense, a lot of things to balance, uh, and uh, now we are looking more uh, into the modeling side and the shape sensing side, which is very interesting at this point, and uh, how these, uh, the relationship between uh, the stiffness of the silicon we use for the rail and the stiffness of the tissue that we are targeting, how they interact, how they interplay, mm -hmm. is the one affecting the other and how they are affecting the sensing and the profile that we are following and the ultrasound imaging resulting from it. Mm -hmm. So it's a very complex problem that we are trying yeah. to deal with. It's interesting, yeah. We forgot the sensing part, yeah, because it's also interesting. I'm curious to ask you in that case, was there any um, unavoidable trade-offs when it comes to design? Something you have to give up in this design process? Have you have something like that where you're trying to design in the design phase, for example, a trade-off that you can't avoid? Yeah, I think it's pretty common uh, in uh, soft robotics. Uh, uh, I um, Even with this system, or also with other systems we are working uh, with, uh, you really need to think about uh, material, material stiffness, and uh, how the stiffness of even multi-material stiffness when when it's the case. Like we started this system as a multi-material system because we were looking into 3D printed prototypes at the beginning rather than silicon molded, and we were playing with the stiffness of the materials of the different parts of the path rails. We had the rail interface in a harder material and then the suction cup in a softer material to adhere better to the surface underneath. So we were able to get a more robust pairing with the probe, with the rigid rail, but a softer cup underneath. But then when we arrived at the manufacturing level, in the very first place, obviously everything went back to single material because of, uh, of complexity of the molding of already a fairly small component. And uh, now we are tracing back and see if we can get better better results with multi-material, but it's always finding the trade-off between uh, what we want to achieve with uh, uh, one material and uh, what function that will result into later on. In the end, we saw, for example, that uh, if we were to push too far, the stiffness of the rail 
the stiffness of the rail was in, in the end affecting the stiffness of the overall structure and increasing significantly the bending stiffness of the whole system. And then even we, we had a softer cap, we ended up having the same bad results that we had before. So yes, I think at certain point we'll have to give up on something and uh, try to find a suboptimal solution mm -hmm. because the optimal is still something that is far from reality. Yeah. So uh, before we go into something again, because you mentioned something important about the multi-material and single material. When it comes to multi-material, of course, challenging. Yeah, for design and printing, for example, what kind of like list or wish list you um, fit the system? For example, what kind of shape for this material? How they are yeah intertwined with each other? Well, uh, in general, I think. Uh, multi-material is something that any soft roboticist should consider because uh, that's how we play with uh, stiffness, that's how together obviously with geometries, but these are the two main components, right? This is what we look for. Uh, the ideal design that you have in mind generally is uh, far from being manufacturable, in my experience. You start with very uh, idealistic assumption and then when you start either to mold it or to 3D print it you see that there are huge problem when it comes to pair two materials and you need to be careful also with uh, the geometries that you put there because they actually made the difference between uh, putting two flat surfaces in contact with another with two different materials and then they pop off after the first attempt of inflating or pulling or whatever you mm -hmm. attempt to do um but yes multi-materials is definitely something that opens a lot of doors when it comes to building new soft robotic systems and uh, well sometimes you really uh try any possible combination between uh, pairs of materials and uh, in my experience these usually lead to very interesting results also something that you can you wouldn't expect at the beginning and then you realize that that combination was actually way better than you thought so it's definitely a very good exercise to experiment with multi-material when you test a new design yeah good point yeah so going back to sensing because you mentioned about shield sensing for example and I just ask you, uh, in that case, do you think we have to move from, for example, designing passive material? And we have a lot of discussion about how we can map the sensor or the architecture of the sensor in the material, passive material. And the other side, we have a smart material that could work as actuator and sensor at the same time. So I don't know what you thought about the material here. What do you think your optimal material you wish to consider for this post, for example? Well, I think there are very interesting smart materials coming up uh, and uh, their use is uh, definitely something that is extremely interesting for the soft robotics community. Uh, there are still a lot of challenges that I think one should address to translate this, the use of this material into real systems that we can use in uh, industrial applications, for example, but also in uh, healthcare engineering, uh, mostly because most of these smart materials are still perceived uh, by the general public as something out from a sci-fi movie at the, at the time. And there is still uh, a huge problem there in building trust in these materials. Uh, 
that then translates in the possibility of actually translating these and certifying products made of these materials. They have huge potential, but uh, at this point of time, probably uh, the fastest way to market would be with uh, standard or close to standard sensing technologies embedded in a soft robotic structure, which already represents something new for the, for the market, something uh, that the general public needs to learn about first and trust. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is, I, I think, the translation of both at the same time could be even a bigger risk in this sense, even though they really hold big promises for the future of soft robotics. Yeah, uh, I agree with you with that. Yeah, absolutely. Still a lot of, yeah, yeah. We have to maybe consider this is like brittle than the smart material. And, and yeah, I, I agree with what you say. I think you said right, yeah. So I would like to ask you again about uh, how do you see uh, the embodied intelligence when it comes to, yeah, in soft robotics? What is your thought about embodied intelligence and how we can achieve it? And also related question about the control, because I think in most of the episode, we see that there's challenges for controlling soft robots. For example, the non-ingredients sometimes, yeah, it could bring opportunities, but we still, yeah, there's kind of neglectance for it. This neglectance non-ingredients sometimes. I don't know uh, what you said about this question, the intelligence, more intelligence, and how we can, yeah, design a better controller for, uh, for example, in soft material, or or how we can use geometric and material non-ingredients, for example, to achieve inherent controller, where some sometimes some just using these techniques uh, in their research. To avoid losing traditional control. So, if you can tell us about the case in your in your research, how do you see this question? Well, uh, from my experience, what what I have seen is that so if you look at the standard robotic system, you will talk about intelligence in robotics when uh, a robotic system is able to take uh, information from the environment, from changes in the environment, from uh, sensing uh, input. Uh, and translate that in reactions in order to perform uh, a given task. When it comes to embodied intelligence, is actually the robots, the materials, the design itself that respond to the environment, respond mm -hmm. to the interactions, and embeds the sort of sensory information and reacts at the same time. So it's definitely something uh, that any soft robots can take advantage of if properly designed for a specific task. What I see as a big struggle is to uh, generalize this embodied intelligence because we see a lot of cases where you can actually be uh, have form of intelligence in response to a very specific subset of uh, environment stimuli there. The generalization of this, it then, become, then becomes a real challenge. Now, we should still benefit of this, and uh, we should still aim to embed this whenever it's possible in our uh, soft robotic systems, because it's a plus. It's something that uh, rigid systems struggle to embody. Um, but at the same time, we should not neglect uh, the control side, the modeling side of our systems, because as for many situations in soft robotics, the good results Come, uh, come out from uh, the trade-off between these two. So mm -hmm. being at the border between these two provides very interesting results. In my experience, we had uh, 
this project uh, at the end of my PhD research uh, that is still going on uh, uh, with uh, my colleague uh, Helge Wurdeman here at UCL and uh, still going on also with uh, Professor Altofer at uh, Queen Mary uh, in relation to the variable stiffness link robot, where what we basically did at the time was taking uh, a traditional rigid link robotic manipulator with standard links and standard joints, and we replaced the links, the rigid parts, with uh, uh, inflatable uh, pipes made of silicon uh, reinforced with mesh and all constrained with uh, a fabric outside to realize something that we could actually tune in terms of stiffness by adjusting the pressure inside the link. Mm. It was not able to deform because of the fabric outside. So it was basically a rigid beam that can be tuned in terms of stiffness. Uh, what, why was this useful and where was the uh, intelligence there? Because of the system itself, and because we were looking at uh, uh, the application in uh, collaborative robotics, we wanted to be able, for example, to detect collisions with the environment or a human operator in the workspace of the robot. Now, because we had these links, not only we were able to adjust the stiffness of the link in response to an impact, hence reduce the risk for the human operator in case of collision, but we were also be able we were also able to take the sensory feedback from the pressure regulators translate the feedback into impact detection based on the fluctuation of the pressure when the impact took place on the body of the robot and use this as embedded info, uh, sensing information that wasn't there it, it's not a, a system that embeds any distributed sensor but at the same time, we were controlling it as a traditional robotic system with a model that was tweaked based on the variable stiffness information that we had from our uh, stiffness model. So yeah. I guess this is how I see the problem at the moment. It's finding yeah. the right trade off between uh, all of these technologies. Yeah, it's really thoughtful point when you mention uh, that could be very informative for students uh, to and also researcher to consider what you said. So thank you for sharing that. But I'm curious to ask you, um, do you have any moments that, uh, in case you highlighted modeling or design, you thought something would work out very well, maybe the design of the grammar, I don't know, any scenario like that, that an empirical result is ex wasn't expected or something was counterintuitive to what you designed. Did you have any scenario like that happening to you? I mean, that's what's like, surprising to you. Well, uh, yes, uh, mostly on the negative side, I would say, like, it's, uh, it's always the problems that you cannot expect, that you mm -hmm. didn't foresee in, at the design stage or even at the modeling stage. There's still uh, the simulation environments that we have available now for soft robotic system are doing great steps forward in terms of simulation technology, but still, uh, Realizing in a complex uh, soft robotics uh, system with uh, uh, frictions that you didn't expect uh, between materials or uh, mm -hmm. deformation that were uh, not supposed to be there because you did very tiny errors when it comes to molding, for example, and something is slightly misaligned, all of this then can result in very large scale effect later on. And this is unfortunately still something that until you prototype and test, you will never yeah. see. And 
No. It's still a huge problem there. Still a huge problem. Yeah, I think that's really excellent point, Jana, because the scale is thing because for example when it comes to the nonlinear material, most of the tools, not all of them, ta tailored for for example linear material and sometimes you don't capture uh, the real dynamics happening in this material, for example, in terms of mechanical performance. And I'm curious to ask you, what do you think it does it take to have like high fidelity simulation that can capture what we have and we don't have to retrace or yeah, to replicate directly only having the design process for simulation, for example? Well, I think it goes down to uh, data collection in the end and uh, learning more about uh, soft materials that we commonly used in uh, soft robotics application. Um, there is uh, still a lot that needs to be done in that sense. Like if you compare the, the uh, data that we have for traditional materials and the data that we have for uh, silicon materials, even the most common that we use, uh, there is a huge gap and how our models then can be accurate if we don't test enough on these materials. It, it becomes really something that one, one should sit there and run uh, this test yeah. for a long time on a huge data set, collect this data, embed them in a model, and then share with the community. And this is something that I start to see around. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's uh, this kind of very useful information will start to come up in papers, which it's obviously something that maybe not uh, something that could be super appealing in terms of research and innovation, but for the soft robotics community, all of this is incredibly useful. And it actually makes a huge difference when it, start, when it comes to the design process of new robot, soft robotic systems. That's also a very important point. Yeah. So when it comes to design again, um, how do you get this like, uh, inspiration to do the design? For example, like by inspiration, I don't know, biometric. And what could be that something, yeah, you have to consider, well, we have to, to go for each direction with a by inspiration biometric, for example. If you can tell us about more details, how you approach this process. Yeah. What could be inspiring even in nature for you, if you can tell us an example. Yeah, I mean, I, I've used, uh, I've, I've tested a lot of design, I have to say, in my <laughs> uh, academic career, and uh, mm -hmm. some came out from uh, bio-inspiration, and uh, some came out from uh, uh, traditional robotic systems. Uh, I really spent a lot of time, especially at the beginning of my postdoc, going through patents, which I found very instructive, like, if you start to go in into searching properly by terms and mm -hmm. go through a huge short list of uh, patents to investigate new design, what is blocking one design from working, that becomes something extremely inspirational. It's very similar to go to a conference, but uh, being extremely monothematic like to the point where all the systems are so similar, but at the same time so different that you want to find that sweet spot where uh, uh, that difference in design is actually making a huge difference for your design. Mm -hmm. And this is an exercise that uh, I would recommend to anyone starting to work on a new soft robotic system or a new robotic system in general, like publications can show a good percentage of what is out there, Patents show the other significant part, and some 
designs that you think are inno innovative, maybe they they aren't, or some designs that you think are not so innovative, actually they are, but you need mm -hmm. to know your uh, your background. Yeah, that's a good way to go. Yeah. So well, because I had a few questions, the first one is, um, <coughs> I think that's something we have to consider sometimes. Why why do you think that translation from the lab to yeah the imported or uh, industry? It's so challenging to talk about it now. Where do you see that spectral is missing um, when it comes to yeah fabrication and or maybe mass production for that uh, design soft robot? And we don't have many companies in this field, so I don't know what what you thought about that. Um, I think that it all comes down to uh, industry investment. Mm -hmm. Is making soft robots appealing for industry and uh, making them believe that these are actually a real life solution for real life problems that is where we should focus now uh, and uh, this all comes down to get get to the point where you have the right connection with industry you foster this connection and obviously yes having more company like uh, uh, like Pesto, for example, that put a huge effort in uh, showing, showcasing novel technologies in this sense. It actually would make, makes a huge difference for the community, but we need more companies like that. We need more uh, research effort in that direction from industry, and we need to bridge this gap, proposing solutions that are actually solution for them. Like the moment an industry see potential uh, in a product, in a system, then if that makes uh, the difference for that industry is actually a game changer because we start to see translation for what it is and the industry will be less discouraged by all these new robots that they were not there before, nobody knew before, and they seem something that it's not supposed to be there in industry, but it will, it will just mm -hmm. take Time. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. So maybe first, let me ask you what could be the area for soft robotics and artificial intelligence? Maybe you could see it in design, you have design or control. For you, how do you see that AI field can help with that? Because some people say there's a lot of hype here. But if you can share um, a key or bottleneck for this two partners that could be produce something meaningful for your work. Helpful. Well, from my from my side, uh, uh, sensing uh, remains the main challenge in uh, mm -hmm. soft robotics, and uh, um, the use, uh, having AI in that sense will, is actually what makes the difference. Because we know that we can get a lot of sensing technologies embedded in our soft robots in different ways. Mm -hmm. But uh, more often than not, these sensing technology are not as accurate as their rigid counterparts. Hence, AI can play a huge role in that because what we lack in terms of uh, precision with sensors for uh, soft robotic systems, we can obviously gain uh, in terms of AI to compensate that. Hence, mm -hmm. yeah, there is a huge role that AI will and already is playing in soft robotics. Great, yeah. And when it comes to selecting the material in, in your system, do you think you have to look for 
better functionality or ease of application, for example? Which one you have to choose? Well, uh, most of the times ends up uh, into better fabrication because it's still the biggest challenge there when you manufacture a new soft robot. And uh, this is also the main barrier to entry later on to industry, in my opinion. So the, the materials, a lot goes down to the fab fabricability of manufacturability mm -hmm. of the robot. That's the critical point. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And uh, do you think ego is important for you? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I guess it's important in any job. But uh, in the context uh, of soft robotic research, I have to say that uh, you have to be very resilient. It can be a very frustrating discipline. And uh, debugging a soft robot design is way more painful than debugging code, or at least is as painful as debugging bad code. And uh, it will take you to the point where you will question your design many, many times. And uh, the moment they will work, you will be rewarded, but you really need to be resilient in soft robotics as much yeah. as your robots. <laughs> I guess that's cute. Do you think about, you have something still hard to understand because you, you think that you're really passionate about design, something still hard to understand, and what's your aspiration as well when it comes to soft robotics for your research? What's something, firstly, still hard to understand? Um, well, not hard to understand, I would say probably hard to tackle still uh, is uh, the, I mean, I, I, found, I find it, first of all, a very interesting research question, the, the fric uh, friction controllable surfaces mm -hmm. and how this then applies uh, to soft robotics uh, system. And uh, there is still a lot that needs to be done in that direction. And uh, it's very common that uh, we use multi multi-materials even in the same uh, uh, soft robotic unit or actuator and uh, we really need to focus more in our research at least for my side mm -hmm. uh, on the challenges that using multi-materials pose in terms of interaction between surfaces of different materials and different friction and how we can model these in our systems that's still a very challenging an yeah. interesting research question from my side. Yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah. Um, maybe I can hear the question about what would be a book maybe in the field or a subfield that inspired you and inspired maybe your work. Yeah, you feel free to select what kind of book inspired you. Well, I, I have to say, uh, I do not recall any specific soft robotics book in that sense. I think. It came, it came a lot from uh, uh, attending conferences uh, in, from my side and mm -hmm. uh, seeing this uh, new trend coming up and being exposed to these and then delve in, into this and realize how much that could be done there. Uh, I still uh, base all of my robotics knowledge uh, from the time where I uh, started to study on uh, Professor uh, Siciliano book at the time and uh, in uh, this was back in the days even in the third year of bachelor i think something like that and uh, it was game changing at the time i still think one of the best robotics books that you can find out there mm -hmm. great and what would be the most important quality 
something you have to maintain in your academic corner. Because, uh, yeah, if you can tell us what would be the most important benefit. Well, uh, uh, I don't want to repeat myself, but yeah, I definitely think it's resilience in the context of research. Yeah. It, it, it is what you need to have, especially if you are thinking of pursuing a PhD and a career in academia. And uh, yes, this goes down then in all of your uh, research life from writing paper, building system, writing grants, writing mm -hmm. applications. It is yeah. what makes a difference because academia is a bit of a struggle, of course, yeah. as many other jobs, but yeah, yeah. academia uh, it is challenging and uh, research it is something that you will face a lot of other challenges related to. I agree with that, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And maybe what be the best advice was given to you and it was like a changing? Um, I guess um, one still very true thing is this, and in soft robotics, I think it's even more true. Don't mm. wait for your system to be perfect to publish it. Because yes, with soft mm. robotics, they will never be perfect and you will never publish it otherwise. So get it out there, present it to the community, get the feedback, learn from it, go back to yeah. the design board and get back on it. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. So do you have any final words you would like to say for soft robotics community? Any final words? Well, I'm very thankful for this invitation, Marwa. It was Thank a pleasure you. to be here. And uh, I'm very uh, pleased to see that this podcast is reaching so many people and our community is growing so fast. And uh, from 10 years ago, everything changed. I think we are seeing more and more uh, uh, soft robotic research group coming up worldwide. Uh, we have seen uh, the, the birth of the first monothematic conference in soft robotics, the first yeah. monothematic journal. It's clearly a very exciting research field, and I'm really glad to see that we are part of a very supportive community where people are willing to share, they're willing to help each other, and uh, they are actually making a difference in the research. Thanks so much, Augustine. I really, I really appreciate it, and I really enjoy listening to you. I think what you're doing is very interesting when it comes to multimedia design. I think that's something still pretty new in the field, so I deeply appreciate your, your thoughts and being here. Thank you for taking your time. Thank you. Great. Thank you very much, Marwa. It was a pleasure. Thank you.